You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. Hello, this is Michael Webb. Some people concentrate on selling skills, content marketing. Other people concentrate on data and process improvement. In this podcast, we focus on the principles that enable companies to pursue both. My guest today is Todd Youngblood. Todd uh, and is an independent consultant. I've known, what, how long have we known each other, Todd? Like like six years or something. It's pushing a decade, I think, Mike. Somewhere, somewhere in that vicinity anyway. Yeah, that's right. I met you when I first moved down here to Atlanta. So, so uh, you are here in Atlanta. Could you give our audience uh, a little bit about your background, how you started, where you came from, and, and uh, what you've grown up to be? Oh, well, gosh, I guess I got into sales accidentally, which I think is uh, more common than any of us might want to might want to think. I had a, a degree in biology and stumbled into a sales job with IBM way back, way back when in the mid 70s huh. and and stayed in. I mean, my career has been in sales ever, ever since then, 40, whatever, whatever the heck uh, years that is. Spent 15 with IBM, started a business uh, in the in the IT world. Uh, then got back into uh, it was I, an outfit called Ivans <laughs> that I spent five years with as a VP of sales and marketing that was doing internet applications before the internet actually existed with mm. old <laughs> old clunky technology, and then started the YPS group, which is what I'm doing now in uh, in '99. So that's that's pushing about 20 years, and that business was focused on what I had learned as obviously a sales professional to begin with, and then lots of years in, in sales management. So I focused on working with sales executives, sales leaders, in improving their sales process, which is something I know that you're awfully familiar with as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We've had many hours of conversation about that. So, so looking back on it, you learn things uh, as a salesperson, a sales manager, and a VP. And what is it, you know, that the kind of principles that intrigued you that that helped you uh, perhaps uh, be a better salesperson or a better sales manager, um, you know, what was this process stuff, these principles? Can you give us an example of something that got you going? Well, I think that I knew absolutely nothing about computer technology, information technology. I mean, literally nothing. Uh, when I when I first got out of college, and I think the the discipline of thought required in in that field was something brand new to me, and I found it very intriguing. And almost by default, took the you know all the, if you're going to write a computer program, for example, not that I ever did that or have that skill, <laughs> yeah. but but to do so, you have to be very disciplined, very structured. Everything has to be everything has to be correct. So I'm talking about things that are very foreign to the to the natural salesperson. Uh, and, well, and I go ahead. Yeah. So so it's like you're dealing with information, right? And so it's it's something that's going to need to be used by another person. And so it's not just that the code needs to be lined up, but it's that the concepts need to be structured in a way that means something for the other person, right? Well, I, I think you put your finger right on it. It has to be structured so that I can communicate what's in my brain to anybody else. And, and the, the amount of consistency and repeatability and 
you know, those are the kind of principles, if I can, you know, use the word that, that you kind of prompted me with, that's, for whatever reason, struck me as, wow, that's really important in sales. It's a whole, yeah, you've got to be articulate and you got to be able to get along with people. You have to have all those basic interpersonal skills to be, to be successful in sales. But combining that with discipline and accountability and, and sticking to a process, uh, struck me from the very beginning of my career as something that's, that's very different. And I think a differentiator, frankly, uh, something uh, I've, differentiator in what way what do you mean well as an individual as an individual salesperson if i'm following if i'm following a process my customers get to expect that and i think it's uncommon it's not common for for a i'll use a trivial example you know i say i'm going to deliver a, a proposal for example on august the 27th by noon and on august 27th on noon there it is it's simple as, okay, I've got a process in place where I promise something. Here's when I'm going to get this piece of work done by this time, this date, and I'll have it delivered to you. And then follow through on that. Okay, so now you just you just transition from one kind of principle or concept to another. The first one, I would characterize uh, operational definition, right? The yep. words we use in our mind are tied to something in reality, and we make sure that these are lined up and that everybody involved is using those terms in the same way. The second one is, uh, is, is value oriented. We're, we're, we're disciplined. We're going to deliver something that we promised. We're going to do what we said, but those two are obviously they're related to each other, but you're saying yeah. that this, instead of being sloppy, the, the, um, rigor of being consistent, and making our actions match our uh, words, our ideas, yep. is, that appealed to you and it differentiated you with customers. Okay, keep going. What happened next? Well, I, I, I want to add one more element to, to what we're talking about. Certainly the, the process orientation. Uh, that's that's key. That's where, that's where everything starts. What is your sales process? And when I say you are, I might be talking to an individual sales rep. I might be talking to a vice president of sales that yeah. has a thousand sales reps working. Yeah. Uh, you know, what is the sales process for this organization? That's where all the discipline begins. So that mm -hmm. everybody's using the everybody's using the same terminology when I when I say conduct discovery. I mean that has meaning mm -hmm. to, to within this organization. So the, a process is defined and followed. The thing I wanted to add to it was measurement. It's it's one thing to have a process. It's another one to say, well, how, you know, how how often are you executing it, and how well are you executing it? So the notion of the, first of all defining a process and having one, and then taking the next step of saying of measuring yourself. Right. How well are you doing it? How often? Are, how often are you doing it? And that. The combination of those two things, having a defined process and some measurements so I can judge the quality of how well I'm executing it, that, that leads to continuous improvement. So I'm getting better all the time as an individual, as a manager, as a, as a sales team. Um, yeah, so you just introduced a third crucial leg of the uh, scientific cycle mindset, right, is that we are checking the reality of you know what we did and what the results were 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'd be a little bit of a wise guy here, but if you go up to the typical sales professional and say, you know, are you, are you good? Are you a good sales professional? You know, a hundred percent of the time the answer is going to be, yeah, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I can follow that up with a question that says, well, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. How do you know that? Are you a good golfer? You know, you can say yes or no. You know, are you a good golfer? It's like, what do you score? Well, well, 105. Well, no. You know what? You're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a. My point is, is a very specific measurement. Well, and I and that um, rich topic. There, there's there is certainly um, issues, and golf is a great parallel. You have a backswing, and if you don't do that right, you're not going to hit the ball correctly. You have a follow through. Yep. And if you don't do that right, you're not going to hit the ball correctly. And it, yep. you can't see your back. You can't see your own backswing, and you can't see your own follow through. So having someone else, like uh, you know, a coach, can help you um, improve those things. And certainly, you can put instruments um, uh, on the on the tee, or you know, where you're practicing your swing, and you can measure that stuff um, and get feedback that way. Um, um, so, so, and I think that that discipline appeals to a lot of people. That's why sales is actually a profession because you have to learn it. It takes practice. Not everybody does it really well. Um, um, so, and then I have another comment, uh, after that, but I want to stop there and say, would you have anything to add to that analogy? No, uh, actually, yeah, because I think it's more than, than, having a coach looking at you, and I, I'm putting a, a couple of words in your mouth perhaps, Mike, but it's one, th- I'm, I'm going to go back to the golf analogy. It's one thing to have a coach that says, hey, do this on your backswing, do this on your follow through, set your feet differently, whatever it may be. That is a critically important component to it. There's, there's another level of measurement. If you look at what professional golfers actually do, they all have records for every single shot they take. I was on the first tee, it's a par five, I'm using a driver, I hit it this far, it landed on the fairway, it sliced from left to right. Just every single shot they take is is measured. And if I do that throughout a whole season as a professional golfer, I'll know that if I'm in this particular situation, I need a seven iron. Because that's the shot that I have the highest odds of executing well based on the statistics mm-hmm. that I know from, from the past year. So I could, I could do the same exact thing with a sales process. I, I come up with a situation of like, what should I do now? Let me look back at the data that I have. Let me talk to my coach. Let me talk to my boss, my manager, and get some tips and ideas and, and talk through it based on that interpersonal kind of uh, interaction. Again, that's critically important. And then let me go back and look at the raw data, the empirical data that I mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. and say, okay, 87% of the time when I write a proposal with in th- with this kind of structure to it, I win the deal. Well, shoot, if it works 87% of the time, hey, dummy, do it again. <laughs> do it again. Yeah. Don't, don't go through a deal and skip that part because when you skip that part, you lose. Right. So, so there's the coaching aspect of it that you emphasized, and then, and then just the empirical data of, you know, how, how well do I do all this? What are the best practices that work for me? Yeah, I was at a meeting of the, uh, I think it's 
enterprise sales forum or something um, the other night here in in Atlanta, and and it was a bunch of salespeople who um, the topic was cold calls. Yep. And you know, cold, uh, is cold calling dead? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Now, when you were at IBM, did you have to make cold calls? I I went for 15 years with IBM, and I can tell you with great precision how many cold calls I made. Yeah? Z- zero. zero. Okay. <laughs> zero. Benefit of working in an established company, right? Yeah. I mean, I had a ter- I walked out of my last sales training class at IBM, and I got handed a territory that already existed. All right. And when I got hired into the computer industry from the business forms industry, I got the job because I had taken a territory in business forms that had about $80,000 of repeat business. And I had turned it into a territory that had about a half a million dollars of repeat business over a period of four or five years, right? That's what they wanted because I was working for a no-name computer company. And let me tell you, did I make cold calls? (laughs) God damn. I mean, uh, and that was the roughest part of the thing. And, And they gave us really good training you know, how to make the calls, how to handle yourself, how to open it up, and you had to keep track of it. And, and matter of fact, that's one of the things that stirred my interest in computers um, was because I, I, I had, a, you know, maybe I'm naturally analytical, but I had a degree in math, and I, and I kept track of these calls with my little personal computer, my little Apple computer that I bought. And the yield of the cold calling that I did fell dramatically over a period of about four years when I was in the computer business. In the beginning, make a hundred phone calls, talk tos, right? Yep. Still had yep. to have plenty of call, you know, plenty of phone dials before you got talk tos. But if you did that, you would find two, three, four people who are in some stage of buying a computer. Right? By four years later, five years later, microcomputers had come on the scene. Um you could make a thousand phone calls. You wouldn't find two, three or four. I mean, yep. it was starvation yep. city. It was horrible. And and so the discussion uh, the other night was, uh, how do you make, how do you, is cold calling dead? And then how do you make, uh, make, how do you do it effectively? And the consensus of it was, no, cold calling is not dead. You know, human beings still need to be uh, influenced by others. It's damn hard now, however, uh, to get a hold of somebody and it takes skill, just like it did 30 years ago, uh, to be able to open those conversations. At that time, the only way you could communicate with someone, basically, you either mailed them a letter or you called them on the phone. But today, you've got about it. phone, yeah, yeah. you got text, you got social media, you got email, you got direct mail, and probably a couple others I haven't you know, included in there. So you have more ways of reaching people. Um, and... They and I kind of I kind of agree with them, but um, boy, is that a hard way to make a living? I talked to a couple of young salespeople who are right out of college, and they have to go through this sort of rite of passage for a year or two, banging the phones with a very low yield, um, you know, very few good talk tos or results, and and that's just their life, and they're sort of resigned to it. They were good hard workers. I mean, um. And they talked about ways of improving it, you know, ways of getting better, but it still has a low yield. And what struck me while we were there, all the things that they suggested about how to do the calls, what kind of opening statements, selecting your list, and, 
you know, all that sort of stuff made good sense. But there was not a single measurement mentioned the whole time. Nobody's measuring. They're just doing it. Yeah, I, I would have been jumping up out of my chair had I been there with you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, go ahead. It's, cold calling is an interesting example to, to use on that because, frankly, personally, I was never good at it. Once I, ne I made zero cold calls when I, in my IBM 15 years. Uh, and then started started my own business. And I, I was used to saying, hi, this is Todd, on the phone, hi, this is Todd Youngblood from IBM. And people would talk to me mm -hmm. virtually virtually all the time. And then the next day, <laughs> here's Todd from Computer Aid calling. And I couldn't, I couldn't get a receptionist to talk to me. Yeah. Uh, so right. I mean, I, I, that's my, my little vignette. But the notion, the notion of measuring it, I mean, it's, it's, in my view, it's crazy not to measure it. Well, because yeah. It, it, so, so what I, 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 I got I to add one. I got to add one more thing, if I can, because there are people that I have met that I know well that are really good at cold calling. Mm -hmm. And I know that because I can say I make I'm Todd. I make a hundred calls. I get to two people, and I talk to Anthony, who makes a hundred calls, and gets to thirty people. Now, if I have that data across 100 people in my sales force, I'm going to find out, okay, everybody's getting two or three, you know, conversations out of 100 dials. This character over here is getting 30. What the hell is he doing? Right. What's he saying? Right. How does he, that, without the numbers, I wouldn't know that Anthony's the champ. Well, he's the best he, he might be bragging that. about it or something. <laughs> but, yeah, well, no, but, but I it's absolutely say, true. I, if it, I have it, the data, well, he can. Yeah, if he does thirty and everybody else is doing two, let him brag. That's right. I want him to, because then everybody well, else can learn from him. Right, and and yeah, and and salespeople are, you know, you walk the between the you know cubicles in an office with a bunch of salespeople, and you know the junior salespeople are particularly in high commission environments, right? They're listening to what the older uh, salespeople are saying, trying to figure out and crack the code. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to learn from those guys and all that happens. But so, so to me, the senior executives in the company that I work for were not measuring. And, and they would simply say, I know it's hard, but back in the day, I did it and you can too. Dialing for dollars is where your future is. And and they were not paying attention to the fact that the yield had declined so much. And the company, so it kept um, depending upon that single method of finding new accounts. And the product lines had fallen behind, right? They didn't really have um, state of the art. We were, getting we were getting beaten in the market by less expensive products that could do basically the same thing. And they didn't have effective countermeasures for that. But, you know, they had the opportunity to know that that stuff was going to be happening for a long time. They had the opportunity to try to figure out more effective ways of positioning salespeople in their markets so that they were better known, right, to make customers more receptive to talking to them. There's a, a bunch of different things they could have experimented with, but they didn't. And so that company went out of business. I mean, yeah, and I, yeah. I've seen that with clients. They keep doing that uh, over and over. I'm working on an article right now 
The working title of it is, uh, is your distribution company going to survive the next recession? Because distribution companies, especially in commodity kind of industries, man, when businesses start tightening their belts, those suppliers are, they're putting a cage match, you know? Yes. You got it. <laughs> yeah. You're discounting prices. And so how are you going to survive that? It was tough the last time. Everybody knows there's going to be another one. You know, how are you going to figure out how to survive that, especially if you're not looking at where the value add is and what your salespeople do and where it isn't? Uh, if, I wish you could see me nodding my head vigorously up and down <laughs> in agreement. <laughs> well, and so to me, it was a it was a uh, the light kind of dawning on me of this concept of uh, systems thinking. Because the company failed to do systems thinking with respect to its position in the market. And, uh, you know, now when I work with clients, I always ask them, I, you know, our goal here. Mr. President of the company um, is to try and come up with a really good answer to this question. What could you do that would make your ideal prospects and customers be willing to pay to get some of your salesperson's time, to pay money? Yeah, the, the, the salesperson as professional consultant, professional business consultant. Well, yeah, at least having you know, value to add. And and I think that good salespeople absolutely have value to add, um, but you know companies who who just leave the sales problem up to the salespeople become captive to the ones who can somehow by hook or by crook figure out and, or get lucky, um, and you know when stuff gets tough again they'll go to some other job and those companies have not figured out how to convert customers in their market. And that's a big pain with all that capital investment of your you know, production facility if you don't know how to make sure that you can constantly bring in the kind of business that you need. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm searching my brain to remember where I got this piece of advice that, that I'll share because I've, I've adopted it as my own now. I didn't, I didn't invent the idea, I stole it. Uh, but the notion of a sales professional ought to view him or herself as a member of the executive team of the client's company. And Especially be, for high-end products, absolutely, yes. Well, for high, with if you don't if you don't do it with high-end products, you're you're sunk. But I found that shift in my mindset is I'm not an outsider trying to break in. I want to view myself as a member of the executive team, the top executive team, the decision-making thing, and I have a, a subset of the expertise required to run the whole company. But I, yeah. I have a set of knowledge that's extremely valuable and, and essential, in fact, for the whole for the whole operation to work properly. I really I, like that advice because yeah. it it puts you in the mindset. It and it's not just the knowledge that you might have. If you are truly an executive, one of your primary roles is influencing other people. Yep. So you have to know what those other people are thinking. What and are they why, thinking? What motivates them? And why do they feel? Yeah. And that yeah. puts you in the mode of being a far more effective salesperson. You're not trying to jump the gun and try to sell them something, you know, like a peddler. 
but you are trying to understand why they think what they think and what they think, you know, will cause improvement and what's holding them back. And you want candor and honesty from the people and you control your own behaviors in order to create that, right? Yep. Yep. So, so, so it, it, I struggle because so many executive teams, when it comes to sales and marketing, I don't know, they just don't do that. They just don't think of it, well, we need data over the system here, you know, that shows us the flow of opportunities. Um, they continue to think of sales, and this was the analogy I was going to go to about the golfing uh, comparison. They continue yep. to think of sales as we're going to try to optimize the performance of that golfer, you know, or that individual salespeople. That's what it's all about. Well, bullshit. I don't think it is. That's very important. Think, it's just a cock in the wheel. It's one piece of a whole system, and that's the way they need to think about it. Oh, I I agree. In fact, I was thinking as as you were as we were discussing the 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 cold calling example. Yep. Um, and everything that that we talked about with regard to that of you know who's this guy that's getting thirty conversations where everybody else gets two. I want to I want to take that exact same principle and 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 apply it to all of the stages of my sales process. Get, getting the first conversation is hard. But, but that's not the end of the job. Once I get the first conversation, then what do I do? Yeah. I have, I have to somehow pique the interest of that decision maker, the, the executive that I'm talking to. And I need that. I need to get that individual to say, tell me more. Well, teach uh, me more. Uh, yeah. So who, it's one. I, I, I've seen so many sales folks that are really good at getting in the door. And then they get in the door and turn into a bumbling idiot. Yeah. I'm exaggerating. Obviously. Yeah, well, but but it's true. I've got to be. I've got to be good now. Now that I've gotten in the door, I've got to earn respect and credibility. And the yeah, the trend these days to break up the sales process into those different segments. Somebody finds it and gets us in the door, and then somebody else takes over after that, and somebody else takes uh, us to get in order. I'm I not mean, advocating that. <laughs> oh, you're not. No. I'm oh, that's not. interesting. Okay, tell tell no, I, help us understand that. Now maybe maybe I'll get somebody to open the door. That part of it, you know, and then turn it over. Maybe I have I have professional cold caller, for example. Uh, I'll I'll go with that and then turn it over. But to get through the rest of the process, I want I want one individual doing it. If I'm gonna if I'm the CEO and I'm gonna hire somebody to solve a problem, I don't I don't want to talk to six different people about that problem. I want to talk to one individual. Okay. So I, I want the sales professional. Once that door is open to get in there, understand the operations of, of the client, understand where the problems are, where the bottlenecks are, what works and what, and what doesn't work, figure out how my set of products and services can remove the bottlenecks in the, in the client's operation, you know, put together a, a proposal. I guess, is that old school, putting a proposal together? What's the statement of work? What is it that I'm going to do that's going to make your current operation different and more more efficient, more effective, cheaper, faster, whatever whatever the value proposition is? Put that, put that whole thing together. However I define that sales process, I want to measure every step of it. Yeah, and well, it, it, okay, go ahead. You measure yeah, every step of it. What do you do with those measures? Yeah. Well, the the simplest thing, 
have you ever noticed that salespeople are competitive? Duh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the nature of the beast. And if all I'm measuring is, you know, dollars in the till at the end of the year, if I got one metric, who sold the most? Okay, great. I want to know that number. That's important. But I also want to know who got in the door most often. Who got the decision maker really intrigued and requesting more information, more discussion? Who's really good at designing the system, of, of taking all the stuff that I have to offer my products and services and figuring out how to integrate that into the customer's operation? Some people are better than that at others. What I mm -hmm. want to do, if I have a six, just for argument's sake, say I got a six-stage process. It might be five, it might be three, it might be ten, but, but say it's six steps. I want to know who's my best performer at step one. And I want the best performer at step one to teach everybody else how to do it as well as he or she does. Now let's look at step two. Who's the best at step two? It's probably a different person. I want the best person at step two to teach everybody else how they do step two. Then I'll go to step three, four, five, however many steps I got in my sales process. If I have metrics on who's performing best at each one of those stages, now I've got within my sales team, I got everybody teaching everybody else. And and I'm I might be, you know, if there's ten reps, I might be number ten in terms yeah. of dollars spent at the end of the year. So I feel like I feel bad about myself. But you know what? In conducting discovery, you know, step three of our sales process, I'm the king. I'm the best. That makes me feel good about myself. I'm teaching everybody else how to do that that one little stage. Okay. Because I'm the best at it. All right. So so That's, let me let me stop you there. That's all that's good. So let me challenge you a little bit. Uh, yep. On that, because in systems thinking, um, there's this principle uh, uh, called the constraint, right? Yep. In any uh, system, there's one uh, step element of it that has, I mean, all the different steps and elements have different capacity, and one yep. of them is, tends to be the bottleneck. And so, yep. a one as this, as this uh, thinking goes, the the most effective way of improving the performance of a system is not to improve the performance of each step, but to find the bottleneck and elevate the performance of that, and then the bottleneck will move someplace else and elevate the performance of that. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out I'm trying to figure out where where the disagreement is, Mike, because I'm... Well, I'm you said you start with stage one and then go to stage two and then go to stage three. I'm saying if the bottleneck is in keeping the customer because we're not delivering on time or, you know, these installations aren't going very smooth or the customer's not using the product like happens a lot in software, you know, if that's where the bottleneck is, that's not stage one. That might be stage seven or six, right? Okay. Different. Right. We're coming at it from a slightly different perspective. I think we're saying the exact same thing. I'm thinking about how, as a sales executive, do I improve my overall sales process? That's my job. So I want to. I want to find the constraint again. And this, this again, say it's six steps. As the as the VP of sales, I want to know which of those six steps is my constraint. Right. I I, I absolutely want to know that. If I look at it more on an individual basis, I might have rep number one. Well, 
his problems at step two. Rep number two has a problem at step six. Rep number three has a problem at step four. So for at an individual level, I want to know where's the constraint in, in that guy's sales process. And if it's step three, I want him to go to go talk to the best rep at step three and figure mm -hmm. out how the hell to do it better. Because mm -hmm. that's the constraint in that individual sales rep's process. I, we're saying the same thing. Well, okay. Um, so now, um, and I don't, I don't mean, uh, I don't mean to be argumentative, but let me come back and say and bring another wrinkle in here. We're thinking in terms okay. of the sales guy. What about the president of the company? Right, his perspective is a little different because, True. on the one hand, the company has only a certain capacity at any given time. And the way you make the company the most profitable is to be able to match the capacity with the demand. And that's hard to do. That can be yeah. very difficult to do, right? <laughs> and yeah. on the other hand... That's why CEOs make a lot of money. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there's a lot of different people and their opinions and, and internal conflicts and, you know, what's really going on here? The old blind man and the elephant sort of a story um, that, that goes on. And, but on the other hand, there's another thing that the CEO needs to think about. Um, the positioning in the market, right? Sales guys tend to be focused on the revenue goal. But the revenue goal can take care of itself if the business is capable of giving the customer the value they want. Like I'm thinking of an, an analogy of a, of a hospital software company um, I heard about uh, a while back, and when companies, when hospitals converted to their software, they had proof positive performance improvements in financial and um, uh, the, the patient statistics by using this hospital information system. So because that stuff was out there in the market and it was so clear that this hospital information system was so much better than the others, customers were kind of lining up. And the salespeople's job was to qualify these customers. They could only take so many at a time. Right? Yep. A, a, a CEO of an organization ideally wants to find the, the, the bleeding neck out in the market, right, that, that he can fix so that people are lining up and then he can control the, you know, the, the input to his business system so that they consistently create this, um, per, you know, visible performance improvement in the market. When you are able to do that, your marketing, you don't have to spend as much on marketing, right? Um, so, so you see what I mean? Your marketing makes your sales effort less necessary. You're less dependent on it. There's definitely sales effort going on, but it's the knowledge that's built in to the system of how the company works. I, I mean, I well, I, I mean, you remind me of the old Peter Drucker thing about the the objective of marketing is to make sales superfluous. So, I mean, the the scenario you laid out there, if I have a widget that is, you know, as impactful as the software system you described in in the medical in the medical mm -hmm. industry, mm -hmm. yeah, I I want to advertise the daylights out of that on on in magazines, on social media, whatever, whatever means I do it. So I, or get your customers to brag about it. Yeah. Well, that's even better. Well, and, and it takes often, I mean, in any business, the, the number of people 
who really understand what the customer's problems are and how to uh, solve those customers' problems and how to convert those customers from not even, you know, hearing of you before to, you know, bragging about their relationship with you. There's only a small number of people in a business that understand those various parts of that. And salespeople are key among it. Well, so to be able to extract from those heads this, the, the, you know, the important nuggets of knowledge so that we can build it into, because customers are looking on the internet to solve their problems. <clears throat> They're avoiding salespeople. Yeah, because right? I, yeah, it's, right? it's a lot more efficient. Well, it, to them, it looks like it's more efficient, but customers don't always know what they really need to know. They don't always make the best decisions. Well, that's, yeah. Right. There, so there. It, it is true. I've run across many myself that, that don't. They're not. The customer's not asking the right questions of him or herself. Yeah. Because of some gap in their own, some gap in their own knowledge. Right. So this whole, yeah. this whole shift is taking decades. This information economy kind of a shift because of the internet, and a lot of B two B companies they don't. Um, they don't have a framework to think about it. And, uh, you know, like those distribution companies, the old glad handing distribution guys, you know, um, their product doesn't differentiate, but they build those relationships. Uh, is that going to be enough? Um, I wonder about that. I don't think it's enough now. I, I mean, it's, I think that started going away, my gosh, 20 years ago. Relationships are still important. Relationships can still take you a heck of a long way. Uh, but but the the knowledge of the customer's business process is still is still well, going to be the king. That's, relationship is a prerequisite. It's necessary but not sufficient. It, well said. Well said. And, and here we are. We uh, we're way over our time here. What we typically would ask people to is listen. That, isn't we, isn't that what we do all every time we talk, Mike? <laughs> Unfortunately, it is. So, but let's. Uh, this was fun. I think we should definitely do it again. How can people? Um, I mean, do you have any recommendations for people, and and how can they get a hold of you uh, if they would like to know more about your particular view of the world? Well, I, I hope I hope this comes across humbly, <laughs> but I've I've been I've been writing blog posts. Uh, I think I was a pioneer. <laughs> I, did, I don't know. I have. Seven or eight hundred of the darn things out there that represent oh, wow. what I what I think and what I have thought over over a couple of decades. So, uh, ypsgroup.com is uh, is the website, um, and I'd, I'd point folks to the blog. And there's a little search engine on that thing to have a topic. If you want to learn what I learn what I think about some topic, take a look there. And if uh, if what I wrote and what you read in one of those blog posts makes sense to you. Uh, Shoot me an email, Todd at YPSgroup.com. I'd love to love to talk to anybody about it. Gotcha. I don't want to force my opinions down anybody's throat because that's that's too painful for me and the other individual. But if <laughs> if there's some nugget, some nugget of information or some concept or some perspective that uh, I've put myself out there on the internet, so <laughs> if, if right. it intrigues you or really annoys you, either way, can you reach out? Super. Well, thank you very much, Todd, and uh, we will do this again soon. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. 
Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.